Hey everyone, I want to give a brief content warning for all our listeners. This next series we explore contains police violence, sexual assault, racialized language, and other triggering content. We hope you continue to listen in as we discuss when they see us, but we completely understand if you need to skip these few episodes. As always, thanks for your support. This week on The Pour Over, Joe and Dill continue their discussion on When They See Us, a newly released Netflix drama miniseries about the Central Park Five. Listen in as it reflects on the heart-wrenching second episode of When They See Us. The show literally pulls no punches. Let's pour it all over. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Pour Over Podcast, hosted by myself, Joe, and Dill. Each week, we bring you our thoughts on a certain episode of a TV show, and most importantly, chit-chat about the very thing so many of us depend on each morning, coffee. Today, we are continuing our series on When They See Us, a new drama miniseries on Netflix about the Central Park Five. The four-episode miniseries portrays the lives of the five teenagers who were falsely accused in the uh, Central Park Five case. Uh, in Central Park, New York City. Uh, but before we get into all that, let's catch up with the Pourover Boys. So, what's up, Dale? How's it going? It's good, man. It's good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yo, I just realized that I didn't change the um, the summary. <laughs> so, we kind of said, oh. said the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we, we didn't change it if you would prefer and go back and record it. <laughs> no, it's all good. I think okay. it's... <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much the same way I feel, I think, about this this next, you know, this episode. Yeah, I think it's still accurate. Yeah. So, how's it going, man? How's your bruise been? Pretty good. I'm kind of in a weird in-between where, you know, because I'm I'm coming to visit you in a little bit. Mm. So, coming out to Ohio. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, I'm almost out of coffee but yeah, so like the coffee I've left, I won't it won't last me until I leave. Oh, okay. And so I'm like, ooh, what do I do with that? Um Frugal boys. But for the time being, I've just been drinking that cat and cloud still. So I'm almost done with it. I have like one more brew, I think. Okay. And so there'll be a, a handful of days in between where I'll probably just end up buying coffee, like to drink or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not not to brew at home, just so I don't like have a whole bag just sitting here. Yeah. But yeah, so recently I just kind of been brewing at home and stuff. So same, same old, same old for me. I gotcha. I gotcha. How's the cat and cloud tasting? Have you it's, dialed it in? I know last week we talked uh, a little bit about. Yeah, you know. it's it's good. I I just don't know if I'm getting it the way they're intending it. I guess mm-hmm. I'm kind of. Um, I wouldn't say giving up, but I think I've just, I, I think this is the way it's going to taste when I brew it, which I'm fine with. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think it's still, I don't know if I get specific nuanced flavor notes or anything like that, but I mean, it tastes mm. good still. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm still drinking it. I still enjoy it. So yeah. yeah what's, what's your experience with the Cat and Cloud been uh, up to now? Yeah. I, um, I have it right now in my Atmos, which, um, you know, I haven't opened in a while, though the leaking problem is back. And I, th- uh, I think that just happens when there's not much in the container. It'll just leak uh, quicker. Um, but uh, it's okay. I'm not I'm not <laughs> a huge fan, actually, of that roast. Um, it, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it is how they roast their beans. Um, 
it yeah i don't know it just it doesn't taste very good i don't yeah. i'm probably doing it wrong i don't know mm-hmm. um but uh yeah it, it's it's good but but after you know and i think my game might be a little bit off too because i've been drinking the tectonic and mm-hmm. um you know like i said last time it's very fruity but um i'm afraid i might be uh under extracting and then it tastes sour and then like i over extract and then it just tastes too fruity almost mm. like it's too concentrated mm. so yeah hopefully when you come over we can kind of work on our skills a little bit more and 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 kind of maybe try try each other's cups to maybe kind of um what's the word align ourselves again to for sure you know well, how, how to do a proper pour over yeah yeah so yeah i think it's all, all part of the process so it's all right and just kind of trying out different beans i just like for me i'm just pretty used to drinking oak cliff so maybe um transitioning to a different type of bean just takes a little bit more i, I don't really know mm-hmm. but yeah so for me at least the can cloud is okay um but yeah, we'll see. We we can uh, give give each other some critiques or something in person. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of roasteries, I did visit one in Denver when I was there. Uh, oh, yeah? yeah, this past weekend. It's called Middle State. It's located kind of south of downtown. Um, and you know, like I posted on our Instagram, I really like the aesthetic there. It's very very clean very spacious and they have kind of different levels different well kind of different levels and they also have their roaster on the site and you can see it mm. like when you're sitting in in part, certain parts of the of the uh of the actual storefront oh wow so it's the active roaster that they use still yeah 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 it's uh oh, wow it's kind of in a different part of the building i think they have a larger warehouse in the back but mm. in in the front of the front of the building or their little their little leasing area is the coffee shop and the back is like kind of where all the roasters are. Oh, very cool. Do they do tours or anything like that? Uh, maybe. I mean, uh, I probably should ask them because their door was open and kind of mm. people were coming in and out. And I was like sitting there hoping to get a nice waft of some roasty smells. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but they were busy. I mean, they were in there actively roasting the beans and nice. um, there was a guy there looking at a computer screen, I guess looking at the roasting levels or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when I was there, he actually pulled it to bring the beans out to cool it down in that oh, you know, cool. spinner thing. So, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, that's kind of like Parks uh, Coffee, the roastery in Carrollton over here. And they, because you go and they have that storefront coffee shop, but then they have a huge... I guess glass wall or just glass window mm-hmm. where you can see into the warehouse and see them roasting and all that stuff. So it sounds a little similar, I guess. Yeah, yeah, probably they probably do tours like Parks does. Mm-hmm. Um, did you like that again? I forget. I can't remember. Uh, the did. tour itself was pretty cool. Yeah, just to see a little different side of of the roaster process. Like for parks though, they're mostly, most, most of their business is like offices and stuff like that. So kind of commercial or oh, whatever okay. you would ca- categorize that as, yeah. as opposed to like, they just, they just built the coffee shop recently. I think for people to come, whereas before, I don't even know if they served like coffee in a coffee shop mm. that you can go get, or you just have to 
set up like a business uh, order or something through them. Right. So their focus is a little different. So most of their building is the warehouse, mm. whereas just a small part is the coffee shop. So, yeah, but the tour itself is, is really good, I think. I recommend it if people are interested in coffee, just to see kind of the whole process, get a little more background info on it, and um, just to see a really big roaster. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's good. Nice. Very cool. Well, any other um, coffee shop experiences that you've had this week? Not too much, man. I feel like it's been that way for a few weeks for me where I've just mostly just been focusing on brewing at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just kind of same old. So maybe I might have to, um, check out some shops or something. Maybe when I come visit, I was, I was looking up some different things online today just cause you know, here, here in Dallas, I just been doing the same, same old, yeah. uh, be at home and brew and all that. Sure. Did you get around to doing the Chemex with your friend? Yeah, I've uh, I've I've done it a few times uh, with with my friend, and I I think I still just because I I brew it so infrequently, mm-hmm. I just need to I guess dial it in again. You know, if we're, if we're using the terminology, and yeah, I think yeah, because because last time we talked a bit about our grind size mm-hmm. and how you know for my V sixty, I think I was grinding pretty fine, mm-hmm. and then uh, for my Chemex, I I have just this generic recipe that i i use but i think my grind was significantly coarser so i think for both my v60 and my chemex i'm trying to find more of a middle ground i guess in between what i've been using whereas like yeah i think i was grinding too fine for the v60 yeah but then for the chemex a little too coarse and so when when, when i brewed it for my friend uh, we've done it like two or three times he, he says you know it, it tastes a little maybe like watery or like like under extracted hmm. kind of thing. So, yeah, you know it's like preference though. I I think mm-hmm. some some people really like more of a uh, lighter kind of tea like kind of quality yeah. to their coffee, and then some people just really like strong coffee. And mm-hmm. in that case, it would be more advantageous for you to grind finer and to have longer contact time with that. You know with that bean. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it kind of gets me thinking about the different brewers that we use and like, cause like with the wave, um, I I think you have to be a little bit coarser than the V60 Mm. just because it settles in there a little longer. Like my understanding of the Hario is that like, it's literally just a hole on the bottom. So water can kind of just drip right out pretty quick. Yeah. It's kind of like the Chemex in that sense. Because they're pretty similar to me, I think, in terms of just the physics of it. Mm-hmm. It's just literally the cone, like paper filter or whatever kind of filter you use, and it just runs straight through. Uh, whereas with the Wave, um, I think there's three small holes in the bottom. Yeah. It's been a while since I've used one. That's so, correct. Yeah, so that kind of restricts the flow. Yeah, whereas with the V60, it's just a giant hole. So you could literally, if you could have some other way of holding the filter, mm-hmm. like the paper filter, you could even just not use the brewer. Yeah, I think. Which I've seen that before. Yeah, it has, has some like little, um, little divots. I don't know what you call it. Yeah, on ridges. the side to yeah the ridges to help with the flow. So that, that that would impact it. Yeah. But ultimately, if you had something to hold up the paper, then I think it would almost it would be pretty similar because hmm. water just runs straight through. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, got got experiment a bit more. Use some different brewers. Um, yeah, I've been wanting to use the AeroPress again for a while, although I still don't have mine. <laughs> uh, mostly at times when like my my beans are almost run out. Yeah, and like because usually I, I brew like twenty grams of coffee for my V sixty, but at the end of the bag, there's usually a little bit less than that left. Mm which is good for like AeroPress. I think it can still get a pretty good cup, you know, 12 grams or something like that. You can, yeah. still, you can still brew with it. But with the with the V60, it makes it a little more difficult. I mean, it's not possible, sure. of course. But mm-hmm. yeah, just being able to, I think, mix it up a bit. Um, and also, like, I think different beans brew better in different brew methods. Mm. So that could be part of it, too. And, you know, we're kind of hitting at that. Yeah. And I think, because I just brew everything in my V60, essentially. Yeah. And so maybe there are ways to brew it that are a little bit better, whether it's French press, AeroPress, or different things like that. Hmm. Interesting. Well, cool. We'll have to try some of those when we meet up, um, mm-hmm. which will be pretty soon. And listeners should stay tuned. We might actually do a live show or something, you know, in, in a couple yeah. of weeks. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In the meantime, uh, you ready to get to the uh, show discussion? Oh, yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Cool. So, yeah, uh, like we said at the top of the show, uh, we're doing these four episodes over the show When They See Us. And so just a quick synopsis is uh, When They See Us is a drama miniseries on Netflix, follows the lives directly following the five teenagers that were wrongly accused in the Central Park jogger case in which a woman was assaulted and raped in Central Park in New York City. The series explores the impact of the false conviction on the lives of each teenager and their families. This is co-written and directed by Ava DuVernay. And the cast includes Michael K. Williams, John Leg- Leguizamo, and Vera Farmiga. And, you know, we're on episode two today, which transitions to talking about the court case. Mm-hmm. Kind of just the outcome of that. It's not really supposed to be a spoiler, but, you know, it's it comes... And results in them getting that guilty verdict. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, episode two kind of covers that beginning to end ish of the whole uh, court case. But yeah, man, what what do you think of of episode two? Yeah, we, I mean, we definitely knew the in, inevitable conclusion to this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, we we kind of got some hints that could go either way, right? Like, yeah, you know, the different attorneys came up and uh, asked the uh, the, the the witnesses different questions and um letter does that as well so i don't know you kind of feel like oh man these guys kind of have a chance but then mm-hmm. in the end you, you do realize like what these kids are up against and the kind of system that they're faced against and uh mm-hmm. it you know it tells us what we already know that you know um in in this case the five adolescents were found guilty yeah, yeah. I was, I was kind of thrown by the way they're presenting the court case and just like its progression, mm-hmm. because what they chose to show in in the show is it just felt like the case was really going in their favor. Yeah, I guess just the specific scenes, the interactions they were showing, like you know, all the evidence was just not really panning out right. for the prosecution. Right, physical evidence and even like different witness testimonies. They're just, none of them were really supporting that these kids were involved with this. Mm-hmm. And so, and like in the back of my mind, knowing how the case turns out, I'm like, ah, oh, this is very interesting. Like maybe it's purposeful mm-hmm. uh, when, when the writers and the director, she just wants to show like still 
this case is a stretch. It's kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And this is still how it turned out. But yeah, it just felt weird to me because to from an observer's standpoint, it was like, oh, this case seems to be going in the favor of the kids. Right. But then even when they were talking about it, they're like, ah, people be saying like, it's, it's not going to go well for us. Mm-hmm. And so that felt a little disconnected to me yeah. and just how they were perceiving the case in the show right. and how it was being presented to us as like the viewers. I would have to agree with you, man. I I, mm-hmm. I do think there's that disconnect there, but I wonder if we have to shift our seat in this show from the jury mm-hmm. to the audience. Cause you know, I think watching this, we could be like, oh, well, we're the jury. We're trying to make the decision here. But whenever the audience gasped, that's when I gasped. And I was like, man, like, I'm watching this injustice before me, but I'm not the one that gets to make that final decision. So, yeah. like, yeah, like, I definitely think a lot of evidence was pointing away from the kids, but the jury might have not been thinking that. Yeah, that's true. Because, you know, they, they don't show Linda Fairstein too much in this episode, but she's still 100% convinced. Oh, yeah. Like, she, she don't even really care because, you know, Letterer, the, I think, uh, DA or whatever, is, mm-hmm. is kind of like, you sure you want to keep doing this? Yeah, she's kind of like, like in the middle, right? Like, yeah, you kind of yeah, feel like but, she could be kind of doubting the the motives of this person and kind of siding with the kids in some way trying to be yeah. a little bit more impartial yeah yeah because she's seen the evidence too and she's like ah it's not really lining up like you know we do we still want to go down this this route right and then Fairstein is just like yes because she she's almost she's not even seeing the kids anymore mm-hmm. or i don't know if she ever did because mm. even just in that one scene i think that was it that she was in she's still like trying to use them as an example or something kind of make yeah like a bigger thing like against crime and all that stuff and like the specifics of the case which is what letterer is asking about uh linda fairstein is like nah like basically that doesn't really matter to her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, she definitely has one way of thinking i mean she is wanting to convict these kids and charge them with um you know this uh this rape and um yeah i mean that's that's been her mo from day one and uh we definitely see that um and so yeah going back to letter though um yeah like i said i think she definitely appears that she could be impartial and trying to really consider the 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 evidence in this case but i think that only extended as far as giving them like a a, a plea deal Mm. Um, and, and after that, once she realized that the kids are not backing down, she just kind of went in on them as, you know, grilled Antron's dad, um, grilled, um, uh, Corey Wise, mm. uh, had those videotapes, you know, and I think the videotapes, I think we're kind of jumping, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but the videotapes I think were like the most condemning, like that kind of mm. really trumped everything. Yeah. And just. Just we're talking about Letterer, and like she has that conversation with one of the lawyers for the defense, where he they they kind of they know each other. Um, I, I don't know the lawyer's name, but uh, Mickey. They, I think Mickey Joseph or Michael. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, uh, yeah, they, they're talking, and he kind of keeps being like, "Ah, oh, you know, just make sure you give the kids a fair fight," kind of thing, mm-hmm. kind of a little bit throughout the episode, and then they kind of have this conversation where he's 
where, where Letterer is really just going in, right? She's just her and Linda Fairstein. They're kind of like, well, it's a little too late now, even if Letterer was having doubts because they're already in the case. Yeah. And then Letterer is like, yeah, this is no longer about justice, but it's about politics. Yep, I wrote that down ways. too. Yeah, yeah. I was like, ooh, that's right. Very telling of their approach and just their whole mindset around it. And she's like, politics is about survival. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so, nothing yeah. fair about survival. Really, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's very revealing. Right. Survival of what, though? Like, if politics is about survival, then she means survival of the majority. Mm. Right. Survival of this, like, idea that we're going to perpetuate, like, these, these black kids being seen as felons, being se- seen as people who commit these kinds of crimes and mm-hmm. survival of, of, you know, and I'm just going to say it like white people to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, these, these people that need to be saved from, you know, black people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of taking a step back now on the episode. I think this, I feel like the first uh, part one really focused on the experience of the kids, right? And just how the injustice they're experiencing in the police department and all that. I feel like episode two here kind of zoomed out a little bit and expanded the scope to Mm. show the way the case is impacting New York and also just the specific families of the kids and stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kinda I appreciated that where yeah, you see this this I mean it was a really big deal at the time and, and still is, but mm-hmm. even at the time it's really taken over and it's like every time the kids come into the court, there's these protesters on both sides that kind of show little short interviews with both sides, like activists and stuff like that too. Yeah. And so you see it's like taking over the whole city in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's good good you bring up the families and the community. Uh, what were your thoughts? You know, this is a, a big, I think, a larger part of mm-hmm. the story as it relates to families. What do you think about the interactions between Tron and his father and just kind of that whole, you know, dynamic or that, you know, how that played out in real life? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe not. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's real life, but. For sure. Um, yeah. I mean, the way it's being retold in, in this um, show right. is just, yeah, it's, you see there's even just a lot of division happening amongst yeah the the families and even just the kids like um yeah and tron's dad like bobby he doesn't even go to the trial with them mm-hmm. for a really long time right like halfway through or something and so i was confused hmm. um the first time they showed like um you know he's at work co-worker comes up he's like hey man go back home see your wife or something like that yeah and then he calls her and is like oh i gotta work and so he's obviously lying mm-hmm and I was, yeah, I was like, why? You know, I was really wondering, you know, and like, just because yeah. for me, it may, it's still a TV show that I'm watching, right? And I'm just like, oh, is he like cheating on his family or something? His mm-hmm. wife, he's got something else. But it, now that I'm thinking about it, that just wouldn't really make sense given the purpose and the context of the show. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was just really confused for a while until... He finally does go uh, with his family yeah. to to the court, and he has that interaction with with his son in in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so like I guess he's just afraid. Like Bobby's just afraid mm-hmm. that he's gonna mess something up. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And in order to cope or not cope with that, he just doesn't show up. Hmm. And it's just a very sad situation. Yeah. Right. 
Like, I don't know if that's influenced by his original discussion in the police uh, department when he's talking to that officer. He's like, hey, is there someone I can talk to? Kind of, you know, and then all of a sudden the police officer turns it around on him. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, you got a good job. Like, you know, does your boss know about your history? All that kind of stuff. So, like, it's, I I feel for Bobby, you know, just because it's a hard situation. But at the same time, I, I think he made the wrong choice to not be there for his son mm-hmm. and his wife. But it's the way it's presented is just, yeah, it's very, very layered. And, and I, I, I see where he's coming from. Yeah. Not to say he's right or justified. Right. Right. Yeah. What would you think of, of Bobby? Yeah. I think, cause you mentioned, um, you know, him being afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing in the court. Um, I would expand that too and, and say he's, he's also afraid uh, for himself. And I think mm. maybe he's trying to protect himself, um, you know, protect his job, uh, protect his identity. And he did mention on the stand that, you know, he just wanted to protect his son from, from going to jail. And he kind of mentioned, he almost started to talk a little bit about how like, you can't come back from that mm. uh, because, you know, he has experience uh, being in uh, the system and so, yeah, I, I see his action as a form of self-preservation, um, kind of like, you know, once again, survival, you know, for, for, for him in, in his life, it's preserving. And he might be coming from a, from a good angle, too. He might be thinking, well, I, I'm the breadwinner of this family. I got to keep working mm-hmm. and I can't jeopardize that for myself or even my family because I still got to, you know, maybe pay these court dues, keep them fed you know, all this stuff. So there's some layers for sure, mm-hmm. you know, just for his motivation and in this case, you know, with Antron. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that I think for this second episode, one of the scenes that really stands out is just that conversation in the bathroom between them mm-hmm. and just how, um, I don't know, just like assertive and raw like Tron is with his own dad. Yeah. And he's he's obviously really hurt, right? And so... I think in the course of just viewing the show as a TV show and also just seeing the court case as a case, um, I think that was just kind of a reminder in there is like, oh, these are real people and like these are affecting them on much more deeper levels mm-hmm. than just this like court case that's happening. Mm-hmm, right. And there's almost like, maybe something like just a position like outside these people protesting all that stuff. And then also on the inside, they're going through the court case, but then even just relationally, there's even more happening, right? Yeah. And so it's just like this case is um, infiltrating deeper and deeper just into their relationships and just their whole world, I guess. Sure. Um, Yeah, so it's it's, it's, uh, sad to see that. And and even amongst the different families of the different kids, Mm -hmm. because we see Yusef's mom kind of distancing herself and Yusef from the rest of the kids. Yeah. She's kind of like, oh, like Yusef's situation is different. And um, those kids, they they talk themselves into this, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. So there's even like division within just the defense, Mm -hmm. I think, is how different people are responding to the situation, which itself is just so complex as well. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, you talked about it last week that, Yusef kind of resonated with you because he's kind of this good boy, you know, mm-hmm. seeming, seemingly good boy. And I think his mom is like trying to ride that narrative as well. Like, mm-hmm. well, my son's not like theirs, like their son. Like I, you know, 
I raised him well, and he he was just kind of roped into it. They were the ones actively mm-hmm. involved. Yeah, so it's just interesting just to see, like, um, not not that I can super blame her because she's trying to protect her son. Like, they don't even know each other before this, all the different kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I can see why she just want to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm out here for my son kind of thing. But they they were thrust into this essentially bigger conversation just around race relations and all of that, just a um, criminal justice um, and to kind of not consider those things seems, um, I don't know, a little in- incomplete, I guess, in her like assessment of, of the whole situation, hmm. which I, mean, I can't blame her for given I mean, her 15-year-old son or 16 at the time of the trial, I guess, but it's just like, is on trial here is a big deal. I get it. But it's like, instead of coming together, some, some division is happening. Yeah. Just even within themselves. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had a question about just like the presentation of the the court case, I guess. Like, because to me, I feel like at times it felt like it dragged a little bit. I don't know if you, you felt that too, but just like the pace of just the whole court case. I don't know how you experienced the progression of, of it in the show. Hmm. Um, I guess a little bit. Um, you know, I felt like they were kind of going back and forth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like letter would speak and then they would quickly cut in the different attorneys. So I yeah. felt like in, in that sense, it was very fast paced, but they did go through a lot of different, like a lot of different witnesses, a lot of different yeah. pieces of evidence. Like, I think maybe if, if they, if they don't ever come back to this part of the story, it would make sense. Like, I think they got, mm-hmm. they got through the whole court thing in one episode. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and part of me, I was like, oh, is this somewhat intentional? Like, because the experience of the kids going through it, it's just going to be like on and on, like all these different things for months. And I was like, I, I felt like it's a little bit like that. Hmm. Um, but also another thing, I, I didn't even realize this till after I watched the second episode, is that the this four-part series covers their lives after jail, too. Oh, Okay. Yeah, because I think in the third episode, the next one that we'll talk about next week, it talks about them as adults. Oh, when they're out of jail or they're still in jail? I think so, yeah. Um, I'm not 100% sure since I haven't watched those episodes yet, but like for some reason, I just thought this four-part series just covered like the case itself mm. and just kind of like wouldn't ex- extend too much further than like the guilty verdict yeah. and then all of that. I mean, just like immediately after them in jail and stuff, but yeah, just seeing like kind of a short preview, I think they, the latter two episodes continue on just more of a comprehensive look of the long-term effects of this on the kids, I think, mm-hmm. um, which, which is good. I, I just didn't know that coming in. Right. Yeah. So, which also like you're saying like, if they're trying just to cover the case in this part two, then I think they did it. Mm-hmm. They'll kind of move on to the next thing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I felt like it was reasonably fast-paced. It just included a lot of information, a lot of, you know, like this whole episode was mainly the the court proceedings, yeah. you know, from the, you know, I think Antron mentioned the pre-court, like the pre-hearing to the actual mm-hmm. hearing to the, uh, the charges that were given. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think just watching the court 
um, hearings and, and just uh, the whole everything play out kind of made me feel like, and this is obvious, you know, it's kind of on the nose, but that justice and liberty or justice is not blind, mm-hmm. that um, everything is kind of seen through like a racialized lens and from, you know, everything is imagery, like everything is how it looks, so to speak, you know, kind of when they brought up the different pieces of evidence talked about how like what color was the sweater was it white mm. oh now it's black and like the shoes are dirty and then like you know just you know and, and also just the way that you know they try and swing the narrative like everything is optics mm-hmm. i don't know if you kind of felt that theme kind of going through this episode yeah, there's definitely seemed you know the, the the defense and the prosecution they're trying to, to a simplification is just like they're trying to sell their narrative like their interpretation of the events mm-hmm. and I mean they're trying to convince the jury right right and yeah at times like the prosecution I think when they're um questioning some of the witnesses and stuff like to me I felt this it didn't really tie specifically to some some of the to the specifics of the kids but just more generally and i was like ah, i feel like this is just to make them feel like some some kind of some kind of way yeah in terms of like get that emotional response kind of get that cringe or, or something like that mm-hmm. to sway their decision making even though it might not be fact based hmm. yeah um yeah, because they, I mean, cause they, they have the, the woman come in and testify, right? The woman that was assaulted. Yeah. And I mean, that, that definitely happened, but then she's, her testimony is that she can't remember anything. Yeah. And for me, I'm just like, well, this doesn't really go against the kids because she can't really say anything against them. Mm-hmm. But other than the fact that, like, she's there and she is, th- this is the consequences of whatever happened, right? Right. And so. I was like, ah, I, I, I feel like this is just trying to tug at some of those heartstrings kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think it makes the the damage valid. I think it makes kind of mm-hmm. the suffering that she went through valid. I think that was kind of the purpose why Letterer brought her up there. Not so much to, like, convict the kids, mm-hmm. but to kind of make the jury feel bad, um, which... On the other hand, I think when they had the kids up there, like when they had um, Kevin up there, or not Kevin, uh, Corey up there, and when they had Antron's dad up there, they didn't, they they didn't, the jury wouldn't have felt bad. Like, they would have mm-hmm. been like, oh, like, you know, when Bobby was speaking, it tells the jury that, you know, Tron's a liar because, you know, mm-hmm. he, he, the, the father's a liar, the son's a liar. And then with Kevin, or not, I keep saying Kevin, with Corey is like he's he's admitting to his own uh conviction and he he's like losing it on the on the stand so that doesn't make the jury feel bad about for him it kind of makes them confirm some of their suspicions i guess but uh yeah it's just i thought the attorneys did a pretty good job too like i thought they did a pretty good job and like i said like we said at the top of this discussion it's kind of like you felt like it could go both ways, but ultimately, you know, we can go towards the ending of this episode. the The ending was very effective in saying these kids were guilty. I was like, "Dang!" Like that's very emotional, especially with mm-hmm. the ending kind of picture 
of um, Kevin playing his trumpet, you know, with that yeah. music going off. I was like, man, yeah, this is what I thought was going to happen, but it happened, and it's, it's very depressing. Yeah, yeah, definitely the way the show has presented itself just makes you feel right kind of in a very small sense i would say but just makes you feel the pain Mm -hmm. of the characters and the people right yeah and just like you know the the, i I don't know i don't want to say like audience or whatever like the the people sitting like the parents right the people sitting in the courtroom that aren't actively involved Mm -hmm. you know they they start crying out and and all of that and it's just emotions are so like vivid Mm -hmm. and, and this like and you, yeah, you, you just see those little bits of, like, these are real people experiencing real things that happen to them, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it definitely makes you feel. And then, then they just, like, push it even further with that picture of Kevin. He got the trumpet, mm-hmm. he got handcuffs on one hand, like, just oh, sitting Oh, I didn't in the notice street. that. Yeah, yeah, at the end when he, like, puts up the trumpet to play, one of the hands has a handcuff, oh, like, on it. Oh, wow, Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. So it's just, just this imagery, just like yeah, push it even further. Yeah, and just like dang, like they don't even need words in that scene right there, other than guilty. But yeah, yeah, it just hits it home. Yeah, man. Any other little uh, tidbits or interesting things on this in this episode? I'm surprised that they included the references to Trump. Dude, same. At the beginning, they gave him like five minutes of, and then the yeah. parents, the two moms were talking about it on the sofa. Yeah. yeah. I was like, man. That, that's a very real conversation as well. Yeah. But they, they used the real footage of him. Yeah, yeah, like right. back in the day, because he, he I, I read in an article before watching this episode that he took out a full page ad advocating for the death penalty, mm-hmm. not specifically for the kids, but just that they would bring it back right. with the implication they would apply it to the kids. Um, and Sheesh. yeah, I was like, can, can they do this to the president <laughs> right now? You know, kind of thing. And then it like, comes up a little bit. They don't like, they have that conversation that the two adults, but I feel like they, they just like have it there. Mm hmm. Yeah, I feel like they yeah. don't necessarily go super into it other than just saying, like, more generally, like, the the response um, racially. Right. But yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think it does speak to, once again, the narrative piece that you're talking about. Like, everyone's trying to shape the narrative and tell a certain story, like, mm-hmm. from a certain angle. And that's the media playing a part yeah. in telling the narrative. And, you know, the jury listens to the radio. The jury watches the news. So that's also feeding into their understanding of what happened. Mm-hmm. And you have a high-profile guy like Donald Trump saying something ridiculous like that, and there's people stupid enough to believe it. Mm-hmm. They believe what he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a very smooth connection to present times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just obviously the the, the division just... Uh, politically and just ideologically even now in the country like there's just kind of this tie like yeah this is a it's talking about the central park case that happened quite a while ago but at the same time like there are connections to present day yeah obviously and this is just i think a very smooth like way to just draw that in yeah um because you know if i if i didn't already know that they would reference him like i I didn't know how they're gonna do it but i was like ah yeah they will reference him 
if I saw that, I was just like, wait, is that Trump? You know, <laughs> kind of thing. And yeah, so hmm. in this real, I mean, in this dramatized um, telling of the story is just like, oh yeah, this interview was real. Like, these are the words he actually said. Mm-hmm. Crazy, man. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll just end our discussion on, man, shout outs to the most awkward punching demonstration ever by Letterer <laughs> when she was like talking about how Corey was punching the table or whatever. She's like kind of looking like yeah. <laughs> super rigid. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, they got to sell that story, you know, they got to sell that narrative and, yeah. and, uh, so doubt where they want it to be and then, you know, discredit people. Yep. So, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's end it on the high note here, um, with our regular segment of what's making you happy this week. Mm-hmm. So hopefully line up the mood a bit and talk about some positive things. So yeah. Dilly, man, what's making you happy this week? Yeah, definitely uh, lightening the mood. I don't know about um, lightening my, myself, just because th- this past week, I would say I gained a few pounds. Whoa. That's not making me happy. Uh-oh. But the reason I did it is because I ate real good last week, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I a few months ago, I, I got Yelp Elite. Is this... <laughs> thing I was trying to work on, and so last week I went to my oh, first no. Yelp event. Right? Is this the Fogo? It was great. It, was, it set the bar real high, and yeah, we uh, the first Yelp event I went to was at Fogo. Yep. Right, Brazilian steakhouse, all you can eat, and it was great. You know, it's it covered and all of it, and so I went, ate that, and was very pleased and happy all around. Nice. And then a couple of days later, uh, in the weekend, I went and got dim sum mm-hmm. with some people. So, you know, just continuing on that. Do you like chicken and feet? in the evening. Wait, what's up? Do you like chicken feet? You, you chicken feet oh, guy? Oh, of course. Woo. Of course. Feng Zhao for the win. Oh, Feng Zhao, Feng Okay, yeah. Yeah, but then even it doesn't end there. I kept going. And then <laughs> that night for dinner, we had all-you-can-eat hot pot. Ooh. Yeah. At your so. house or? No, it's at a restaurant. Okay. So I don't usually eat hot pot at a restaurant. That's not really what I like to do. Yeah. But, you know, it's just kind of what, what the group wanted to go and, and, and get. So it was pretty good. Nice. I mean, I, I liked it. So Was it um? Yeah. Was it Little Sheep Mongolian? Nah, so it was. I, I've been there. Yeah. And then, but the one we went to is a Korean restaurant, oh, actually. Oh, okay. And so, like, they divide the restaurant in half. Like, the left side is Korean barbecue. They got their grills on there. Nice. Right half is hot pot, like, individual hot pot. Okay. So, like, shabu-shabu kind of deal, like... And so they have both. You can't do both. Like if half your table wants Korean barbecue, half wants the hot pot, you can't sit together. What? But <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird. I'm That's like, weird. Oh, okay. But you know, I guess to maintain just the quality of both, I don't know. But uh, our group did the the hot pot. Mm. So yeah, I think it was a place called Gogia or something in in Plano. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was good. Nice. Uh, like I said, I, I don't usually like doing a hot pot at a restaurant. More, more so for a cost perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, man, making me happy. I I ate real good last week, and <laughs> I need to go on a diet now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what about you? What's making you happy? Yeah. Um. So yeah, this past weekend, like I said at the top of the show, I went to Denver. 
And uh, I was with a friend, and we hiked uh, Pikes Peak, which is supposedly the highest peak, or they call it America's Mountain. It's in the Rockies. Uh (laughs) Yeah. America, you know, 4th of July. Yeah, that's right. Recording on the 5th here. Um, But anyways, long story short, we had to call EMT. Oh. Uh, I I won't say what happened, but I was talking to the person who was helping and she ended up being a coffee uh, drinker and like a, you oh, know, she, okay. really Full into coffee. Here. Yeah. So we started talking about coffee and she actually asked me some questions that I was like, I was not really prepared for. She was like mm. kind of asking me like, oh yeah, so what kind of roasters do you like? Uh, what kind of beans do you use for French press? I was oh, like, wow, shoot. like this is some next level I- interviewing here. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not, they're not messing around. No, she was not. All while trying to save this person's life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! But uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah, just another day, I guess. I know she. Yeah, just uh, she needed that coffee that day, you know, to to mm-hmm. to be focused. Um, but anyways, you know, just I guess what's making me happy is, um, just being able to have that kind of conversation with someone just on a whim. Yeah. But also like really appreciating emergency services and the kinds mm-hmm. of things they provide, like. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was just awesome just to kind of see everything work out in the end and nice. to be able to actually be a part of it as well. So that's definitely what's making me happy this week. Yeah, glad everything worked out. Yeah. All right, well, um, yeah, thanks for chatting with me, Dill. I look forward to our next discussion, which will probably be live uh, mm. between us. But uh, But yeah, I'll catch you next week. Yeah. This was the Pour Over Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at pourover underscore show to stay up to date with the Pour Over gang. Our artwork is by Daniel Liu. Find him on Instagram at herecomesdaniel. Music is by Joshua Yin. You can listen to his other tracks on soundcloud.com slash kidmajestic, one word. Thanks for joining us and take care.